Father God, we really want to ask for your help as we come to uh, this really uh, dense chapter of your word uh, with all its controversy. Father, help us to remove all these distractions. Help us to break through our weariness and our uh, physical exhaustion that we might have. And will you speak to us that we may understand your warnings to us about these last days that we are living in right now. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, So one conversation that I think I'll never forget uh, is one conversation I had with my colleague um, over lunch uh, several years ago. Uh, Because in that lunch time, my colleague revealed that he had a secret bunker, right, stored up somewhere in the Blue Mountains, uh, preparing for the end of the world. And see, at that time, I had only heard about doomsday preppers, right? Uh, reading the news or flicking through channels on TV, but I never imagined that I was actually working with one. Right? All this time, I was sitting next to him uh, on my computer day by day. And as he continued to talk about how he was sure, absolutely sure, that the world was going to end in 2012, this is how long ago it was, because of the Mayan calendar ending. Have you guys, do you guys remember that, that, that time? Yeah, and how his, his secret bunker was stocked with um, all these uh, uh, food rations um, and that he was really secretive about where in the Blue Mountains it was hidden uh, in case we all come crashing to his place uh, when the end of the world actually comes. Uh, and I still remember my, my reaction of all my colleagues around the lunch table and they weren't very subtle about what they thought about his decision, right? They all thought it was a bit silly to say the least. And I, at the time, I was just wondering, what, 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 what's happening? How can this guy who is, you know, doing the same job I am, clearly, hopefully, as smart or smarter than I am, waste so much time, effort, money into this project? But as we come to our passage today, I, I want us to think about that. Is it actually wrong to be preparing for the end of the world? right? Because this passage, Jesus is actually telling us to prepare for the end of the world, isn't he? He's actually helping us to know what is coming before his return. He's actually teaching us to be a Christian prepper. Uh, But of course, spoiler alert, our application today won't be to tell you guys to go off and build secret bunkers. Uh, Now, since Pastor Peter's sermon last week, we've actually jumped over a lot of chapters as we've tried to fit in um, the book of Matthew into a a short few weeks. Um, And my plan is that after we come back from our school holidays, we'll um, go through a lot of these chapters that we've missed in our life groups. Uh, But just to summarize um, all the stuff that we've we've breezed through, um, Jesus has just entered the main city of Jerusalem, right? His three years of ministry is culminating in finally coming into Jerusalem. And how does he come in? He rides a donkey, right? He's fulfilling scripture here, right? Maybe we'll touch upon that in our life groups um, uh, later on. And the crowds, what the crowd's saying here is, they hail him, they welcome him, putting palm branches down and say he is the son of David, right? Not a very subtle hint that they're welcoming him as possibly the Messiah. And this gets the religious leaders super angry, right? And so there's a very tense standoff at the temple. 
uh, leader after leader, different religious sects come in to try and trap Jesus in his words. They give him tough questions and riddles, but Jesus defeats them all. Jesus publicly humiliates all of them. And so now, as it looks like Jesus has won this little skirmish in public in front of the temple, they're walking away from the temple now. And as they walk away, we get this scene, right? The disciples say, wow, look at this temple. And to be sure, by those standards of the day, this was a really impressive um, building of the ancient world. Maybe they're saying, isn't our God great? Look at this great temple that we have. But this is what Jesus says about the temple, verse 2. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, to us, it doesn't really mean much because this is the building, yeah, you, we sort of expect all buildings to eventually crumble and collapse over time. Uh, but with a statement like this, the disciples had another thought in mind. The destruction of the temple, what would that mean? It could only mean one thing for them. That would be the end of worship of God, right? Where would we sacrifice to God? Where would we meet to celebrate all our festivals as the people of God? And so in the centuries leading up to Jesus' time, the destruction of the first temple was a sign that God had given up on his people. God was not going to live with his people anymore. And it was a sign that God has abandoned them, at, at least for that time of punishment. And so now with the destruction of the temple again, after it had taken so long to rebuild the second temple, it could only mean one thing. Tell us, they said. When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Right? No more temple, what does that mean? It means the end. <laughs> the end of existence as they knew it. Uh, what Jesus hinted at a couple of weeks ago, right? Out with the old regime of Satan. He is a strong man come to take over. In with the new regime of the Son of God. Righteousness, everlasting life. When will this happen, Jesus? When will you come in glory? Well, he doesn't answer them directly. He simply tells them to watch out. Uh, next slide, please. Watch out because many will come claiming to be Jesus himself, right? And you think, why would Jesus warn his followers to be careful? They've been with him the whole time. They've heard his teaching. Well, he warns them because of what is to come. Wars, rumors of wars, kingdoms rising and falling in battle, natural disasters, famines, earthquakes. And when you think about it, we hear this all the time in the news, even today, even 2,000 years after Jesus spoke these words, when we hear of massive bushfires all across Australia a couple of years ago, as we hear about a pandemic you know, spreading throughout the world, when we hear about Russia, <laughs> a nuclear power invading Ukraine, don't we always think, oh man, this world is coming to an end? This happens all the time. But Jesus tells us how we are to think of these events. These are the beginnings of birth pains. The beginnings of birth pains. 
Now, I'm sure uh, many of us here who have had children or witness our spouses have children, um, you, you could probably relate to this. Um, because one vivid memory that I have was when Sarah was in labor with our first daughter, uh, Beth. Uh, she was several hours into labor, and she was just exhausted, right? Wave after wave of pain. She was just, uh, I, I couldn't yeah, even imagine how much longer she could take it. But then a nurse comes in, pops her head in and goes, oh yeah, you're not even halfway yet, and then walks out. And Sarah was like, what? How can it not be halfway yet? Right? Labor pains. It's a long, exhausting, painful process. And Jesus says, when you see all these things happening in our world, this is how we are to think of it. It's the beginning. It's the start of birth pains. Be prepared for a long, drawn-out period of upheaval. But not just when we look at the troubles around us on a global level, because in particular, the church, God's own people, will suffer because of them being the followers of the king. Persecution will be heavy, even to the point of death. Followers of Jesus will be hated by all the nations because of Jesus. Now, now just to be clear, this isn't talking about when the church stuffs up, right? We know of all the problems the church has, child abuse scandals, celebrity pastors um, having a shameful fall of grace, even non-celebrity pastors who abuse their authority, right? But this persecution that Jesus is talking about is when Christians are doing the right thing. They're standing out for Jesus. They're living for Jesus. And Jesus says, that will be the exact reason why you will be persecuted. Being salt and light of the earth. Upholding righteousness. Calling out evil in the world. Proclaiming the gospel of life. Jesus says, suffering will come precisely because you are following me. In fact, the pressure will be so intense that Christians will betray and hate one another. That's the warning. Right? That's how severe, that's how unrelenting this attack will be. The love of most will grow cold. Just think about that. Maybe, maybe it's a sense of despair. It's not going to end. You can't see any way out of this suffering. Maybe it's cynicism, you know? As we hit, we're hit by wave after wave of persecution, suffering, you just lose hope. Maybe it's desperation to, to preserve their earthly lives. Fear of what they can lose for what, what, what it means for our families, our kids. And so you drift away from the love of Jesus. Whatever the reason might be, Jesus tells us that many will no longer have the will to hold on to their love for Christ, their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ, the love of God, the love of the gospel. But there is hope to be found. Because Jesus tells us again, those who stand firm to the end will be saved. That is sure, right? And we see throughout the scriptures, God has always preserved a faithful remnant who will not compromise no matter what. Those who will persevere despite all the hardships and trials that they face. So we have all these great upheavals, right? Even right now before us, wars, famines, earthquakes, but that won't be the sign of the end. 
we have the heavy and sustained persecution of God's people throughout the last two millennia that we've seen in the Christian church history. But that won't be the sign of the end. What will be the sign of the end then? Well, it looks like Jesus is finally getting to the heart of the disciples' question. Verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now this reference to the abomination that causes desolation, it should have immediately caused all the disciples around him their ears to prick up. And I hope maybe for you guys as well, if you know your Old Testament. Because they knew very well what the prophet Daniel that Jesus is quoting about here is talking about. He was talking about one particular Greek king. Does anyone know who that is? Well, I'm sure you're all desperately uh, trying to tell me. It's Antiochus IV, right? Who not only tried to outlaw sacrifice to Israel's God, but most horrific of all, he does the most sacrilegious thing that he could think of. He offers a pig on God's altar, right? The most unclean animal that's can't even come close to the temple, let alone be taken into the Holy of Holies and then sacrificed, tainting the temple with unclean blood, right? That was the most disgusting thing that he could think of to spit in the face of God and God's people. And Jesus is saying now, there will come a time when you'll see another abomination that causes desolation coming. And so when you see a similar event where God himself is blasphemed, mocked, spat on by God's enemies in a totally shocking way, then it is time to act. It's time to flee. There's not even time to, to grab your cloak, right? To, to grab your belongings, to, to get your, 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 your family heirlooms. When that time comes, you run for your lives, Jesus says. That's how sudden and how terrible this situation is. So bad that Jesus says this will be the greatest distress the world has ever seen and ever will see. And so now, and only now, does Jesus talk about his return. Verse 29. When we read these descriptions, uh, these are from the book of Isaiah. And they come from a context of God pouring out his wrath upon the whole earth. Judgment is coming upon the whole earth. And what does Jesus says will happen alongside this judgment? Jesus will appear. And when the king appears, the people of the earth will mourn. Why mourn? Because judgment is upon us. But while the whole earth mourns, God's people, the elect, those who belong to the king, they will be gathered up for God. But Jesus still hasn't answered the question, has he? Right? What the question is? When will be the time of your coming? When? We want a date. What's the actual date? Well, Jesus says, simply look at the signs and you will know. Uh, now, when I was studying at Bible college, we had this beautiful uh, jacaranda tree um, in the middle of the courtyard. Uh, but when the tree started to blossom and, and, and started producing these purple flowers, not only did it look really beautiful, but it would also fill the students with dread. Do you know why? 
exams were coming, so I'm sure you guys have the same experience when you, if you had jacaranda trees, right? Final year exams, not just any exams, final year exams were coming. The purple flowers were a sign of things to come. And so Jesus says, pay attention to all these signs. All the signs that need to be fulfilled, wars, disasters, persecution, a great distress that keeps getting worse and worse each time. When will these be fulfilled? Well, Jesus actually tells us, verse 34, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so when, when is this all going to happen? When will all the conditions t- will be met for Jesus to, to come back? Well, Jesus says, within the same generation of Jesus' first listeners. That is to say, within the lifetime of his disciples standing there on the Mount of Olives. They will see all that is necessary for Christ's return to be completed. Or to, be, to put it another way, be ready for Jesus to come within your lifetime. The season is now. The fig tree is ripe. The jacaranda tree is purple, right? Wars, famines, great persecution. Haven't these all happened within the lifetime of these disciples? But you might think, Felix, hold on a second. Didn't you just say that we aren't to be alarmed by all these events, right? That there should be a delay? Jesus will be coming back in a long time. That these are just the beginning of birth pains. But now you're saying, well, all these things that are happening are already the conditions to be met for Jesus to come any time now? What's going on? Well, this is something that I hope we can explore in our life group. So don't miss out. So I'll just leave that, that thought for you. You know, just as a little bit of a teaser. But let's just continue with what Jesus is talking about here. Verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, for the disciples who no doubt wanted a very precise date, like we do, right? A precise date of when Jesus' return will be. They must have found it a bit disappointing with Jesus' answer. And I wonder... You know, even as I was preaching this, did you really hope that Felix had a secret answer for you, a secret date that I could give you? But the answer is no one knows, only God the Father. Now, let's just take a breath. How many of us feel like we've just been drinking from a fire hose after I've blasted through this section? Um, And I haven't even spent time to go through many of the details of this passage. But it's important to, to make sense of all this by going back to this disciples' main question, right? I've said it a few times already. Tell us, they say, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Their question is, when will the temple be destroyed? And with that understanding of the temple being destroyed is, when will you return to bring in this new kingdom? When's it going to happen? And so let's recap. First, expect a delay in my return. Don't panic when you hear about wars and disasters. Don't panic when you suffer heavy persecution. But secondly, there will be a great climactic distress. At that time, God's name will be profaned in an outrageous way. It will coincide with the greatest persecution of God's people you will ever see. But then judgment will come. Christ will return. God's people will be gathered up. And all the things that are needed to be fulfilled before Christ returns will happen 
within the lifetime of Jesus' disciples? The disciples' question is a simple one, right? When will the temple be destroyed? When will you return? When will the end come? But looking at Jesus' answer, you think, well, first of all, let's just consider the first part of the question. When will the temple be destroyed? Because looking at Jesus' answer, the word temple doesn't even appear. But if we look a bit closer, Jesus does actually address the temple. Because that's what's most likely Jesus is referring to, to the abomination that causes desolation, verse 15. Because what is more shocking than a pig being sacrificed on God's altar? Well, the temple itself coming down, tumbling down into ruins. Or maybe you might think, well, Jesus referred to himself as the temple, didn't he? Maybe Jesus hanging on the cross. Maybe that is the abomination that causes desolation. God himself being pierced on a cross. Maybe, we don't know. But then we, even then we have a, another problem, and that is, look at the timing of all, all the events that Jesus lays out here. It looks as if Jesus is saying, even if the temple is destroyed, Jesus will then return immediately after that. But then look back at history. And that's, of course, not what happens, right? The, the temple was destroyed way back in 70 AD by the Roman Empire, but it's been 2,000 years now, and Jesus hasn't come back yet. So was Jesus wrong in saying he would come back immediately? But there's also some signs to point to something else that's going on here. When we read these verses, you can see Jesus' description going way beyond simply the temple collapsing. Because it says the great distress will be unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and will never be equaled again. That if those days had not been cut short, there will be no survivors. And so by historical accounts, yes, the, the Roman siege of Jerusalem, the raising of the temple, that was a really devastating time. right? The historian Josephus claims that over a million Jews were killed during this siege because of it was the Passover and all the Jews were, were flocking to the temple to celebrate Passover. And that was a time that the Romans cho chose to strike. A hundred thousand Jews were then forced into slavery by the Romans. Some were made into gladiators to fight to the death for the entertainment of the Romans. But the way Jesus describes the event here, distress never to be equaled again, that points us to something even more tragic than the events of 70 AD. Instead, what I think this sets up is a, a, a pattern Right? The destruction of this temple is a pattern, a template of distress, true distress that will come when Christ returns. But it seems like Jesus is using this topic to launch into a broader look at the last days, right? the times that we are living in now. Because as we look in our 2,000 years, years of history and see other events that might rightly be labeled as abominations that cause desolation, I think the one that immediately it pops up to my mind, I don't know about yours, is we could think about the six million Jews who were murdered during the Holocaust in World War II. And of course, this means there might even await a time when an even greater suffering and persecution will arise for God's people. And ultimately, that, that leads to what Jesus goes into all this detail to, in order to answer the disciples' question. Because if you think about it, if Jesus was to just answer the disciples' questions plainly, when will you come back? He would just say, I don't know. Right? But he doesn't say, I don't know. 
he goes into all this detail. Why? Because there is something more important for the disciples and for us to know than simply the timing of his return. And that is, we need to know what to expect while we wait. Because what's the danger if we don't know what to expect? If we have the wrong expectations, we can be deceived. Just read over this again. Time and time again, he says, make sure we are not deceived. False prophets will appear, right? Why, why does Jesus need to warn us of this? Well, it's because precisely of how much from now until Jesus' return, history will be full of world-ending-like events happening. From now until Jesus' return, we will keep seeing distress that we have never seen ever before, right? As humanity invents more and more weapons of mass destruction, as we see the, the nature itself looking to bring about greater and greater catastrophes, catastrophes upon us, with all the persecution that the, the worldwide Christian church is facing, these false Christs, they offer hope, don't they? When false Christs, false prophets come and say, finally, this person is going to relieve us of our suffering and pain. We can look forward to the ushering in of a new kingdom now if we follow this new Messiah, new prophet or whatever. But look out for them. They bring false hope, a false gospel on those who fear what is happening in the world around us. And even when we get to the final distress, the great final persecution of God's people, even then, Jesus warns us not to be deceived. Because even now, God's people can be deceived by false claims of Jesus' return. And so how do we know, right? Jesus keeps warning us, be careful. How do we know when he finally comes back? Well, we know that we won't be told by someone through the grapevine. We know that when Jesus comes back, we won't read it through Reddit. He won't appear in some obscure location somewhere out in the bush or in a remote island. He's not going to appear in someone's basement. When Jesus comes back, everyone will know. Jesus tells us beforehand so we know what to expect. Don't be swayed by those claiming to be special messiahs or prophets. Don't be swayed even if someone comes with signs, miracles, and wonders, keep holding on to Jesus' words, even when things start to get crazy. But there's another reason why we need to have the right expectations of the times that we're living in. And that is, we actually need to hear that Christ's return might actually be more delayed than we think. Now, is that an odd thing for you to hear? right? Because wouldn't you expect the message like as a pastor say, like, be ready for Jesus to return at any time, you know, make sure you're ready, you know, if Jesus came tomorrow, would you be ready, that, that sort of thing. But I think there's actually a place for the church to hear that Christ's return will be delayed, right? Even though it's been 2,000 years since Jesus came in the first place. Because I think as we look at the relative peace and safety that most of us have experience and are still experiencing now, right here in sunny Brisbane, free from persecution, I wonder what would happen if suffering and persecution comes knocking at our door? How would we react? How would we react if 
without warning, our lives are threatened because we hold on to the gospel. Because life-threatening persecution isn't just something that we, we read about in history long past, right? We're reminded of that every time Jesse comes to share with us the shocking, brutal persecution that is happening right now, not that far away from us. Our brothers in Christ losing their lives because they hold on to Jesus. And so I wonder, as a church, might we be unprepared for when heavy persecution hits us or when truly earth-shattering global events hit us? Right, even if, uh, we, we talk about false prophets and false Christ. And I know many of us, we're, we're smart enough in our theology that we're not going to be dismayed by them. But still, could we be in danger of losing our love for Jesus when things get really tough? Could we grow resentful towards God for taking away this cushy lifestyle that we're so familiar with, that we're enjoying so much? And so if we are to be ready, if Jesus is preparing us for the end times, what would that look like? Well, let me ask you a few questions. Are you ready for your tremendous wealth? Let's be honest, right? We are tremendously wealthy compared to so many people. Are you ready for your tremendous wealth and comfort to be stripped away? That we're, we're so used to enjoying our big screen TVs, our fridge stocked with gourmet foods, that the ability of going out and enjoy cuisine from all over the world, all the material blessings, my leather seats in my car, whatever, air conditioning. If we were, are we prepared to face a loss of all of that one day without a moment's notice? Are you ready for your family relationships to be torn apart because you are holding on to following Jesus when others are mocking you for that? Are you ready to go to prison and even die for Christ before you would consider renouncing the Lord Jesus? Right? Listen to Jesus' words carefully because this, chapter 24, that is actually the normal Christian experience. We see that throughout history. We are the historical outliers. We are the odd ones out. This comfort, this affluence isn't the normal way that Christians are supposed to be living until Christ's return. So my challenge for us all today is, are you preparing? Are you prepping for the time to come when the normal Christian experience hits us? And there are a few things for us to talk about. Are we already living as if the things that we possess before us are only temporary? Are we doing that right now? As if that new car that I just bought will be taken away from me any moment. That my new house that I'm paying off year by year, all the mortgage payments that I'm putting in, that that could be snapped up, destroyed in a moment. Are we ready for that? Are we training ourselves to be bold and live for Jesus now, while it is easy living for Jesus, preparing for when it gets really hard to live for Jesus? Are we investing in things that will last into eternity right now and not waiting until, oh, oh Jesus is coming back soon. Okay, then, then, then I'll do it. Then I'll start evangelizing. Then I will we'll start serving. Are we preparing our hearts and minds with God's word that he has revealed about living in this age, right? 
Now, when you think about that, isn't that just Christian living 101, right? Isn't that just doing what the Bible tells us to do? Isn't that just listening to Jesus and not just listening to him, but putting it into practice? That's all it is. That's what Christian prepping is all about. If we are to prepare well, then we just need, simply need to hear God's words and have it affect our lives and transform our lives. When was the last time that happened? When was the last time you actually changed something in the way that you live because of hearing your king? When was the last time living out Jesus' commandments actually cost something for you? Because that's the Christian experience, isn't it? It's not meant to be a walk in the park. And Jesus is so clear about that. Now, this is a hard sermon to hear. Um, but I just want it to be clear, Jesus is not trying to scare us. He's not trying to guilt trip us. But he does this out of love. He has told us plainly what to expect as we live in these last days. He has told us in advance so that we might not panic, that we might not be deceived, so that our love would not grow cold, so that we can't say to Jesus when suffering and persecution comes, Jesus, this isn't what I signed up for. You never told me it would be this hard. I thought it was just going to be rainbows and, and, and fluffy clouds until you return. No, Jesus tells us all this so that we can be the ones who knows what to expect and stand firm till the end. So let us be prepared. Let us keep prepping together as we wait for Christ's return. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have told us what will happen. And as hard as it is to hear, as much as we want to hold on to this life and the stuff that we have, Father, we pray that by your Spirit, we would see clearly the reality of this world, that things are going to get tough. Things are not last, going to last forever, but help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and live for him day by day. Help us to prepare well for Jesus' return, we pray in his name.